0: Good evening. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 2 and let's begin reading in verse 13. It says, the Passover of the Jews was near and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and he found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers seated at their tables. And he made a scourge of cords and drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who were selling the doves, he said, take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, what sign do you show us as your authority for doing those things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it took 46 years to build the temple, and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. If you don't mind, I want to share a few more thoughts, kind of playing off of what we talked about this morning concerning the pandemic and things that maybe we have learned. And then I promise I'll stop because I, I could be wrong, but I really believe that, that most of you are sick and tired of talking about COVID-19. But I do think it's worth our while to talk about some of the things that can be taken away from this that we can learn and apply going forward. You know, my grandfather lived during the Great Depression, and that event changed the way that he lived his life from that point forward. My grandfather fought in World War II, That experience, though he did like to talk about it, changed him for good. 9-11 was an event that changed this country probably for good. There are things that happen to us or happen in the world around us that take place that change us, that have a profound effect on us. There's even been other viruses like the Black Plague or the Spanish Flu or polio or smallpox These diseases brought widespread destruction and they caused us to adapt and adjust. So what's the takeaway from COVID-19? Well, we've certainly learned that even a virus can be political, right? And I'm not here to talk about all the conspiracy theories and all those things. When I talk about the takeaway, what I wanna talk about is maybe what we have learned from the chaos of COVID. What can we take away and cling to going forward? And that's where I want to spend a few minutes this evening. Let's go back to John chapter 2 where we read a moment ago. Now this is one of those stories where we often focus on the righteous anger of Jesus, right? That's really what we focus on is that that Jesus got angry and he turned over the tables, but we're missing a whole lot if that's the only thing we focus on because Jesus knew that the People were using the temple in a way that was not intended. He knew all about the money changers. He knew all about the selling of oxen and sheep and dove. Because remember, Jesus was raised as a faithful Jew. He would have attended the temple regularly. And so he often saw these money changers there. So this wasn't a surprise to him. However, when we focus on the righteous anger of Jesus and we focus on him turning over the tables, we miss the overall root of the problem. That's that's just a symptom. The ox and the sheep and the dove being sold, that that's just a symptom. The money changers being there, that's just a symptom of the real problem. Jesus is really talking about more than business transactions. He's talking about the heart of the Jewish people. You ever had a turnover the tables kind of moment? I had the opportunity several years ago to listen to Coach Mike Shashevsky, head basketball coach at Duke University, uh, speak, and he told a story about one of his freshmen, Mike Dunleavy, who was a, a star player in his own right coming out of, of high school. He gets to Duke, and as a freshman, he's on the free throw line with, with no time left and a chance to win the game, and instead he misses both free throws and Duke loses. Now, Duke wasn't in the habit of losing. If you follow college basketball, Duke only loses about four or five games a year regularly. But this was a case where Mike Dunleavy felt like he let his whole team down. He was so upset, and Coach K knew it. He also knew that there would be a, a temptation to maybe blame the whole loss on Mike Dunleavy, and so he came up with a plan. When, Mike, when Coach K, Mike Shashevsky entered in through the uh, locker room and he saw Dunleavy sitting there with his, with his hands over his head and, and sobbing bitterly, He decided to go over and he he grabbed a picture off the wall of one of his other star players, Carlos Boozer, and and he he showed it to all the players. And he he looked at Carlos Boozer and he said, when when are you going to start playing like this? And then he slammed it on the ground, breaking it into a thousand pieces. And then he looked at Shane Battier, his All-American, and he said, when are you going to start being the leader that we need you to be? And he just went down the line, Chris Duhon, Nate James, all of his star players railing on them. was all premeditated. He wasn't really as angry as he was letting on, but he knew he had to do something to take the focus off of Mike Dunleavy and letting his team know that it never comes down to just two free throws. Whether we're talking about teams or individuals, it's easy to push automatic pilot and to go about life mechanically. And you know what we call that? We call that business as usual. And it's so easy to fall into this trap. You wake up, you take a shower, you eat some breakfast, you go to work, you come home. Maybe you pick the kids up from school on your way home. You help them do their homework. You get them ready for bed. You you go to sleep. You get up and you do it all over again the next day, right? But then out of the blue, something turns over your table. Maybe in the middle of your regular routine, you start having chest pains and, and the pain starts shooting down your arm. You decide to go to the emergency room and find out that you're having a heart attack. Maybe you're going on with life as normal and, and you have a little spots show up on the skin and so you go and get it checked out, thinking it's nothing and it turns out to be life-threatening. All of a sudden, your world is turned upside down and all of a sudden, your daily routine is not only run, but you're, you're thinking there may not be too many tomorrows left. But here's the deal. There is a sense in which interruptions like this can be a good thing if it brings clarity if it brings you to a better understanding, if it stops you dead in your tracks and forces you to take inventory of what's truly important, if it does all of those things, then it can certainly have a a positive effect on your life. Church can very easily become business as usual. We get up, we get dressed, we come to Bible class, we go to worship, You know, we come home, we eat lunch, maybe we take a nap, we come back for church at 5 o'clock that evening, we go home, we start our regular routine on Monday, on Wednesday during the middle of the week, we stop and we come to church that evening at 7 o'clock and then we go on about our business waiting for Sunday to come around again. I think this virus has had a great opportunity to wake us up and show us how easily things can be taken away from us, including, including gathering together for worship. Many of us didn't even realize how much we would miss gathering for worship until it was taken away. Do you have any idea how difficult it is to preach to a camera in an empty auditorium? I mean, I preach to a camera every week with our Life in the Light television program. But it's in a studio. The camera's not far from me. I'm looking straight into it. I've done that enough times. I know what that's about. It's very difficult to stand up here and to look into a camera, to an empty auditorium. I mean, if you have pews in a building, they should be filled, right? It's difficult because I stand up here and I preach and I don't see your faces. I don't see you nodding your head. I don't see you, you know, smiling or even laughing if I happen to actually say something funny. It's difficult. It's different. And, and while maybe worshiping in our pajamas was, was okay for a little while, I think we could all agree it's not ideal. Today was supposed to be the day that we got back together on Sunday evening as well as Wednesday and kind of get back to a normal routine without many restrictions, if any. But of course, the rise in numbers is, has caused us to kind of take a step back and reevaluate and, and not so quickly implement some of those things that we were going to beforehand But when we do come back together, when we do get back into our regular routine without any restrictions, you know as well as I do, it's going to be very easy, very easy to fall back into a routine. And some of that's not bad. Routine can be good. I don't mean to diminish routine because it can be a good thing. But I don't want us to ever forget what it was like to be a quarantined church. So in order to never forget I want to remind you of a few things. First, let's not let life become a marketplace again. Too much of life is about transactions. It's about business. We go to work so that we can earn a living. We go to school so that we can earn a diploma. We go to the grocery store so that we can buy food and we come to church so that we can go to heaven, right? But isn't life more than that? It has to be, doesn't it? I mean, although it's so easy to buy into this way of thinking, I think we all know that the best way to live is to treat life as more than just a business transaction or a series of business transactions. When we forget that we are the temple, then relationships and intimacy are lost. Priorities get rearranged. Making a living replaces making a life. You know, the money changers in the temple that we read about in John chapter 2, they forgot what the temple was really for. Either that or they just didn't care. And business as usual is born out of forgetting. We forget that we ourselves are the temple of God, that God and His Spirit resides in us, that we are the glory of His creation, that we are His icons, His image bearers in the world. And therefore, life is just about nothing more than transactions. But life isn't a marketplace. It's a mission field. And during this pandemic, I think we all learned that there are certain things that we could live without. We learned that uh, life being a marketplace affords us certain things, but there are certain things that affords us that we could live without, right? I absolutely love sports. I think I talked about that this morning. But I survived without sports. It was hard, but I did. Many of us learned that staying home may not be the best thing and we may have been bored out of our gourd and we may have you know felt like that we didn't mind staying at home as long as somebody wasn't telling us to do it but we also probably found more quality time with our family than we had had before because restaurants were shut down a lot of us ate at home more instead of eating out we gathered around a dinner table more than we ever had before we learned to live without a mall and without a movie theater we may not have liked it but we managed Did you notice how many people got outside? So many families could be seen walking and so many kids playing outside instead of, you know, sitting behind a computer or playing video games. We saw more and more people getting out and about and enjoying the outdoors. I personally took advantage of the slowdown by going hunting and fishing. As anxious as I was to get back to seeing all of you and and worshiping under one roof, there were some positive takeaways. There were blessings in disguise, and one of the biggest was the fact that life wasn't so much a marketplace. The marketplace got shut down, and we didn't really lose a whole lot. Let's not rush back into a marketplace mentality. Let's continue to practice crowd control and break away from the busyness periodically to get alone with God and to focus on what's most important. You know, I remember well the first time I was taken out of church for misbehaving. I guess my mother made an impact on me because I remember that very, very well. We were sitting in a, in a quiet church building. Everybody had their head down in a, in, in a moment of silence. And I decided I wanted to break that silence. And I started pondering the ways that I could do that. I thought about whistling. I thought about clapping. Finally, I settled on cow noises. And so I started very softly. I made a moo or two, just loud enough that my mother and a few people that were sitting around us could hear me. And my mother, who had her head bowed, just kind of nudged me a little bit as if to say, cut it out. And I did for a few moments. And then I increased my moos. This time, my mother kind of looked over and gave me the stink eye as if to say, do that again and see what happens. And so I did, I stopped. I was silent for a little bit, but then the inner daredevil in me had to come out. And so I increased my moves loud enough that not only could she hear me and the people around me, but pretty much everyone in the auditorium. And with that, my mother scooped me up. She took me outside and proceeded to beat the moves out of me. I think so often we need to learn to hit the pause button in life. We need to learn to slow down because we live in such a world of restlessness. We often associate being still and being quiet with children. You know, they're the ones that misbehave and they can't keep still, but no, it's really an adult problem as well. Maybe we don't get taken out of church services and and spanked, but certainly we also have a problem with just being still and letting God be in control We are trying to fit so much activity into our schedules, into our lives, and it's killing us spiritually. We have zero time for spiritual formation, zero time for prayer, Bible study, fellowship, worship activities, zero time for God. At some point, we've just got to hit the pause button and understand the magnitude of solitude. Jesus began his ministry with 40 days of solitude. And throughout his life, he would always find time to spend alone with the Father. In the midst of traveling and preaching and, and healing and feeding, Jesus never let the pace of life deter him and keep him from seeking solitude and just being still. And it begs the question, if Jesus needed prayerful solitude, then how much more do we? Here's something else that I want us to remember and take with us going forward. Remember that it's, it's not about going to church we are the church. You know, the church was never closed. She was never shut down because we are the church. We, didn't, we, didn't, we, didn't, we don't go to the temple, we are the temple. We don't go to church, we are the church. And this was brought to light during the chaos of COVID. Church is not something that opens and closes with a prayer. It's not something that happens twice a week at a, at a building at a agreed upon time. It is you, it is us, and the world can't shut us down. However, we can shut ourselves down. Think of all the different ways this congregation, this one, adapted and adjusted. We called and we checked on one another. Stephanie continued to put out Bible lessons and and, and do videos on Instagram for the kiddos. Blake continued to meet with the youth group through Zoom meetings and and planning family devotionals. We did drive-by fellowship. We had thousands of views on our online worship. We still had Bible class. The elders still met through Zoom meetings. Small groups of you got together for fellowship. Was it ideal? No. But the point is, we didn't stop. We adapted and we adjusted and we made the most of it. And and what I love about all of it is that we saw an opportunity. And instead of just throwing our hands up and saying, oh, well, I guess we'll just sit and wait until they call us to meet again. We did something. We tried to affect the environment we were in. When this virus turned over our tables and interrupted business as usual, we regrouped and we came up with a different plan. And while we would love to have been together sooner under one roof, we all understood that the church cannot be confined by four walls and a roof. On Easter this year, my neighborhood had a sunrise Easter service And I volunteered to say a few words to deliver the message. And so we gathered on my street, which is a cul-de-sac. We gathered on the end in our lawn chairs, of course, keeping a safe distance. And I stood up and preached. And one of the things that I said was, thank you so much for allowing me the opportunity to actually look people in the eye and preach because I hadn't had that opportunity very much. But, you know, that opportunity didn't satisfy my hunger. It only made me hungrier. It only made me want to get back in front of you sooner so that I could preach to faces. Great effort was made to stay connected during this time that we were apart. And let's keep making that effort. Let's not forget the longing that we had to be back together. Now that we are starting to get back together, at least on Sunday mornings, let's not take it for granted because we didn't lose anything during this time. In many ways, we... Or what the church was in the beginning, meeting in homes, breaking bread together, sharing the word of God, fellowshipping with one another. Sure, we would have liked to have had bigger groups, but we got a taste of what the first century church must have been like. And now that we're back together under one roof, at least in a limited capacity, let's not lose sight of what it means to be a family, because it's far too easy to take relationships for granted. And every time we're tempted to do so, just remember that phrase, social distancing. And I would say this, let's make Sunday the highlight of our week, not just another day. How about we make this the highlight of our week instead of just another day where we come, we sit in a pew and we look at the backs of other people's heads. Each day of the week has a feel to it, doesn't it? Monday certainly has a feel. Friday has a feel. Wednesday is hump day. You're halfway through the week. It has a feel. Every day has a mood or a feel associated with it. Plus, every day has its own set of rules, right? Meaning there are certain rituals associated with certain days. You know, Friday nights or during the fall here in West Texas, that's that's game night. Tuesday is soccer practice, perhaps. Sunday is church day. But is it only that? Are we just getting through the days or is there more to it? Are we soaking up the days and making the most of them? Let's anticipate Sunday. Let's savor it. Let's take advantage of everything it has to offer. What's the one thing you missed while we were apart? I'll tell you what I missed. I missed the routine. I missed getting up early on Sunday morning, driving over to Stripes and getting my cup of coffee and and coming to the church building and looking over my lesson and praying and, and, and getting ready for Bible class and greeting all of you as you're coming in the building, going to Bible class, going to worship, preaching a couple of sermons, going home having some lunch, coming back up here and kind of starting on the next week, maybe having an elders meeting, preaching on Sunday night, maybe having small groups afterwards. I mean, it's the routine that I missed. Business as usual is what I missed. And you may think, well, Chris, aren't you talking out of both sides of your mouth? No, routine can be a good thing. It can be a great thing. When it comes to enjoying that routine and, and, and committing to that routine. You can call that business as usual, but business as usual is not always a negative. There is something refreshing about having a routine to look forward to. No matter how difficult my week has been, I have Sunday to look forward to. Sunday's coming, and I could always count on that until the chaos of COVID. And then I had to change my routine, and I didn't like it much. I did get to worship in my pajamas while sitting on my couch with my family, but that got old pretty quick. I need my Sundays filled with fellowship and family. I'm thankful to have that back, even if it is on a limited basis. But let's fight to not take that for granted. Have you noticed that throughout the Gospels, Jesus is one big interruption? Have you noticed that? He certainly interrupted business as usual in the temple, but the truth is he interrupted virtually everything. He interrupted history by coming to this earth in the first place. Jesus was constantly upsetting the apple cart, whether it was the Pharisees, the woman at the well, Nicodemus, the disciples. Jesus was a major interruption in the lives of people. And not only that, he interrupted the laws of nature. He controlled the weather. He walked on water. Not only that, he interrupted death through resurrection. Not only that, he interrupted the entire system of the Jews by bringing a kingdom and pronouncing that he was the long-awaited Messiah. He was indeed the great interrupter. He was constantly interrupting, disrupting, and overturning and disposing of business as usual. You know, we want life to run smoothly. We hope for an easy day or an easy week or an easy life. We long for comfort and peace. But we have to understand that following Jesus may bring anything but those things. Life may be one big interruption, and that may be exactly what we need. It's definitely what the money changers in the temple needed. Look at it again. John chapter 2, verses 18-21. through 21. The Jews then said to him, What sign do you show us as your authority for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It took us 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. You see, the Jews forgot the purpose of the temple. Of course, they also missed the fact that Jesus was the new temple. And it's easy for us to do the same thing. It's easy for us to forget that we are the temple today. You know, we careen through life, going about our daily business, completing one transaction after another. And sometimes what we need most is an interruption, something to remind us that this body is more than just a vehicle for getting things done. It's a temple. And what's the sole purpose of a temple? Just look at what John writes in verse 11 after Jesus Another interruption, interrupts the wedding in Cana. He says, this beginning of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Manifested his glory. That's what we are. That's what we do as the temple of God. We manifest his glory. That was the purpose of the people who were conducting business in the temple, but they had forgotten that purpose. They ignored that purpose which is precisely why Jesus turned over the tables as part of a reminder to say, that's not what this is about. This pandemic has been a great interruption, both for the church as a whole and for us individually. The question becomes, will we use it for our benefit? I have known people whose life was suddenly interrupted People who have gone to the doctor for a normal checkup only to find out that they have cancer. People who were living life to the fullest only to suddenly be involved in a, in a four-wheeler accident and be paralyzed from the waist down. People who were carrying on business as usual but found themselves in the operating room having heart surgery. Of course, one of the negatives of this pandemic has been folks who were who were put out of work and maybe they're their business never opened again. I've known people who took these interruptions and used them to recalibrate their lives and draw closer to God. These interruptions were a life-altering moment, and they were never the same afterward. I hope and pray that we are never the same after this whole pandemic. I hope and pray that there are some things that we have learned that we never lose sight of, but above all else, I hope and pray that what we've learned is that we truly need each other. There's no such thing as individualistic Christianity. We are better together. May we never let business as usual get in the way of who we are and what we're supposed to be about. I love you, and and personally, I am thankful for this interruption. I don't want to go back to it again, but I am in some ways grateful. Because I believe that this interruption is going to change us in a profound way. I, th- I think it's only going to make us stronger and more appreciative, but that's solely up to us, isn't it? Because we get to decide what we're going to be going forward. Will we be nothing more than money changers, or will we be the temple? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love and grace and mercy. Thank you that we are able to meet again, even if it is on a somewhat limited basis. We pray for an end to this pandemic very soon. We pray that we can return to our normal activities, but that we will, that we will cling to the things that we have learned, that we will filter out the things that we don't need and that we will be different and better going forward. God, thank you so much for always being in control, always watching out for us. May we always seek to glorify you in this temple. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.